Welcome to the program, everyone. My name is Dr. Mike Welland. I'm a computational material scientist here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. Uh, previously, I've worked in the United States. I've worked in European Union for a little while, and I'm very happy to be here today to co-host this podcast with my colleague, Larkin. I'm Larkin Mosscrop. I am a hip waiter wearing ecologist turned nuclear advocate and currently a project manager here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. And I'm very excited to get to have these amazing conversations with scientists and engineers from across CNL. We are here today to talk about advanced reactors with Ali Siddiqui. So he's got a master's degree in aerospace engineering, and he started with CNL back in 2010 in thermal hydraulics. Throughout his career, he has moved around CNL in different areas, but his love of advanced reactors has brought him back to ST as our current head of advanced reactors. So we're really excited today to talk to you about all the things that CNL is doing and also just the landscape of advanced reactors, because I don't know about you, Mike, but I love advanced reactors too. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'm really happy to be here to talk about advanced reactors. It's something really close to my heart and uh, absolutely, I think, uh, a fascinating topic to highlight. So how about we ask the obvious question, what is an advanced reactor? Yeah, so, so an advanced reactor is the latest form of reactor technology. This is technology that's current, that's up to date, that incorporates some real innovations. So that could be to work more closely with the variable renewables, be able to ramp their uh, production rates higher and lower to have a stability on the grid. It could be at higher temperatures than traditional contemporary water-cooled reactors. Uh, incorporation of advanced safety systems, including inherent safety. Uh, and it also uh, can include you know, different technologies than what we're used to in the contemporary water-cooled reactor industry, incorporating different fluids uh, for coolants. So you know, things like molten salt reactors, high temperature gas reactors, liquid metal reactors. These would be typical advanced reactor types. And of course, there's also fusion. There's also fusion, which is kind of, by definition, an advanced reactor type. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of work going on in the world in the fusion space. We are working here at CNL to support fusion uh, research in a few niche areas, and I definitely see that growing in the future. So I fell in love with advanced reactor because of the molten salt reactor, but most of us think of, most people maybe think of these advanced reactors as SMRs. Are they different? Yeah, so SMRs have... have uh, some overlap with advanced reactors. Uh, SMRs are really talking about the size, so small and modular. So the definition for, uh, for SMRs is typically up to 300 megawatts electric and typically incorporates some kind of modularity, whether that be multiple modules or units that would be put together or uh, more, uh, in many cases, modularity related to individual components that could be brought to a site and put together like Lego blocks, modules that are uh, used to assemble the SMR. Advanced reactors uh, could have similar technologies. You know, many SMRs are looking at uh, high temperature gas reactor technology or molten salt technology, for example. Uh, but uh, advanced reactors aren't bounded by that size limitation. So it could be a very large reactor as well. Are there any advanced reactors right now? So right now, the major focus for advanced reactor development, probably for the last 25 years or so, at least 20 years, has been the Generation 4 International Forum. Under that collaboration, which is an international collaboration with participants around the world, uh, there are six systems that have been defined as uh, focus areas for research. There are projects underway at various labs around the world contributing to this. CNL is actually very involved 
with three of these six systems. Uh, for the last number of years, we've been uh, in a lead role on the supercritical water reactor system. Uh, and then in the last few years, we've actually gotten a lot more involved with the very high temperature reactor system and the molten salt reactor system. The reason that we're more involved in those, in those two systems uh, is that there are, is a lot of overlap with the current SMR uh, developments that are happening in the country. So there are multiple designs for mol uh, molten salt reactors, and there are several designs out there uh, that are moving ahead uh, towards development and deployment with high temperature gas reactors. I would also add that uh, in the world today, there are a few advanced reactors that have been built with these types of technologies, high temperature gas, uh, with uh, molten metal, uh, and there have even been molten salt reactors that have been operated historically. Uh, in most cases, these are test reactors that are being uh, developed to prove out the technology with the intent of scaling these up into larger reactors in the future. You, you keep mentioning the high temperature reactor types. Why? Why would we go to high temperature? Surely that would be something that we would want to avoid. Is there a, a reason why we would do that? Yeah, of course. So there's a couple of compelling reasons to go to higher temperatures. Uh, one is simply for thermodynamic efficiency in your conversion cycle. If you have a higher temperature, you look at the Carnot equation, you can get higher thermal efficiency. That, that's great. There's also a really compelling case to use these high temperatures in hard to decarbonize uh, industries. For example, in the oil and gas industry, they regularly use high temperature steam as part of their processes. If you could produce that without burning fossil fuels, you would reduce your overall carbon emissions of your operations. So the promise of some of these advanced reactors is to be able to directly use that heat at an appropriate temperature, perhaps five, six, 700 degrees Celsius, to use it directly in your operations. Okay, and this also avoids the uh, the loss of efficiency in converting to electricity first. That's right, exactly. Okay, what what sort of work is CNL doing to provide a proving ground for that sort of technology and those ideas? Sure, so, so we see ourselves as being a really uh, key place to prove out these technologies uh, as a advanced reactor technology hub uh, we're not developing any specific technology ourselves. We're not uh, a reactor developer. We are a national nuclear lab. So our focus has been mainly on providing the capabilities and expertise in the areas where we already have knowledge to build that out to address the needs of these advanced reactor uh, vendors okay. uh, and to work with the international community on these collaborations under the Gen 4 uh, banner. So for example, in the Advanced Reactors Directorate, we have capabilities that span across materials, reactor safety, nuclear fuels, and advanced modeling and simulation. All of these are crucial to show that these technologies are, are viable. Um, these are new technologies that rely on uh, cutting edge materials, new fuel designs. Uh, you know, in, in many cases, we're, we're talking about coolants that haven't uh, really been used extensively, uh, certainly don't have hundreds of years of uh, of test data like we do with water. Mm -hmm. so, so in all cases, you know, there's lots of room for us to develop techniques, to develop models, and to do fairly large-scale experiments to validate those models uh, here at the labs. So you, you keep talking about molten metal as a coolant, and I think that's probably something that doesn't make sense in a lot of people's heads. Can you talk a little bit about how a molten metal could be used as a coolant? Sure, so any liquid could be used as a coolant, uh, even when that coolant is, is quite hot. The fuel itself in some of these concepts might be at uh, 1,000 degrees Celsius or even hotter, 
And so some of these liquids that I'm, I'm referencing, for example, uh, sodium, would be liquid at a much lower temperature, perhaps five to 600 degrees Celsius. So in those scenarios, it's, uh, it's extracting heat from the fuel, uh, just like water would, uh, and transferring that very efficiently into a secondary system that would take that heat away to a power conversion cycle. And you talked a little bit about the thermal efficiencies. And could you say what would be the difference between the efficiencies in energy conversion between a current reactor with water and one of these high temperature reactors? Yeah, so the, the percentage efficiencies is, is something that you can calculate uh, with the Carnot equation. Uh, you know, conventional reactors operate around 300 degrees Celsius, so you'd get typically around 30, 33% thermal efficiency. For these high temperature reactors that we're talking about in excess of 600 degrees Celsius, you'd be above 50% thermal efficiency, nice. uh, which, is, which is, you know, an improvement certainly. So instead of having to build three reactors of a certain size, maybe you only need two for a certain amount of electricity. So that's compelling and it adds to the economic case. Um, but you know, some of these reactors, when you're switching to a different fluid altogether, you actually make the engineering problems somewhat simpler. You don't have mm. a, a large pressurized system. You don't need thick uh, pressure vessels. Uh, so so you, you know, it, it is moving into a regime where you have this high temperature that can be utilized directly for industrial processes, for heating, for steam production, producing hydrogen more efficiently. Uh, so, so it's very compelling in that sense. What, why have these technologies not been used before? Has something changed or? Yeah, so, so the, uh, the history of the nuclear industry uh, at the early stages, there were many different reactor technologies that were attempted and actually built and tested. So many of these advanced reactor technologies, although they're, they're new and they're innovative and very exciting, have had some history of being built and tested you know, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, many of these reactor concepts have been, uh, have been tried out in the United States, in Europe, in Japan, uh, in China. In Canada even, we've have, had some history of building advanced and different reactor types. For example, the WR1 reactor at Whiteshell used organic coolant. So this is not water. Uh, this is a, a chemical that uh, doesn't boil at uh, the same temperatures as water. So it's a much higher boiling point. And I believe it operated in excess of 300 degrees Celsius at very low nice. pressures. So, so there's some really interesting history at, at CNL of working on these types of advanced reactor types. Um, that said, as the industry coalesced around certain concepts in the 50s, uh, you know, there was a huge amount of uh, work done for the submarine fleet in the United States sure. around pressurized water reactors, water-cooled reactors in general, and the civil nuclear infrastructure really followed that and, and established water as the de facto standard for cooling for reactors. And those water reactors are still used today, and there's most of the reactors worldwide are water reactors. So how do you think that advanced reactors are going to change this landscape? Yeah, so when I think about the future of nuclear, I think about it in the context of net zero and climate change. And all the credible models that I've seen looking out to 2050 and beyond look to have a massive increase in electrification. And you need that because you need to use electricity that's produced from non-greenhouse gas emitting sources to be able to actually decarbonize. Uh, so advanced reactors really have some compelling case here that can support that. Uh, the high temperatures allow you to decarbonize in industries that otherwise are very difficult to decarbonize. 
the electricity production that you can generate with these advanced reactors can be more efficient than existing fleet. Yeah. And you have the potential to build these in a way that is uh, modular, uh, that is rolled out more broadly than the current fleet. Do you want to talk a little bit about waste in advanced reactors? Yeah, of course. So, uh, so waste is a crucial piece of uh, the nuclear puzzle. Uh, it, it's absolutely important to have a view of how to handle the waste that will come from any reactor. Uh, and advanced reactors offer some compelling scenarios. So um, molten salt reactors, for example, have the potential to use fuel that has been used in water-cooled reactors to convert that fuel into new forms of fuel for those molten salt reactors to use through a form of recycling. Uh, that's not something that we currently do in Canada, but there's a, a compelling case that some uh, SMR vendors, for example, are, are working towards uh, that shows how you could use the stockpile of spent nuclear fuel that we have mm -hmm. productively uh, to put it through a recycling process and then use that fuel to power new reactors. There are other reactor types, uh, for example, fast spectrum reactors uh, that are also being developed that look to the potential to recycle their wastes. After they've run a, a core of fuel for 20 years, they'd be able to process that uh, fuel, uh, reuse a, a large majority of it, uh, and limit the amount of waste that's actually generated from the reactor that needs to be stored safely in some kind of repository or ultimate storage. I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of initiatives that we've heard of. Uh, there's the scenery and there's the Cedar Park. And I think those are fairly different things, but maybe you can uh, break them down for us, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so scenery is an acronym, uh, CNRI. This stands for Canadian Nuclear Research Initiative. CNL has a history of working for the federal government, federal family, doing that kind of research. And, and that's an exciting part of what we do. We also do work for the commercial uh, reactor fleet. So we do work for utilities. And with the advanced reactors and SMRs that are being developed in Canada, we wanted to create a program to connect those vendors with our capabilities here at the labs. So Scenery is the vehicle to do that. It is a cost-shared program. Every year we have a call for proposals. They can apply with their uh, projects that they have in mind. And we go through a, a structured ranking process internally to CNL. And we decide on which projects we will co-fund. Uh, it's an exciting program. We've been running for over three years now. And we've had a lot of uptake. We've done work for multiple SMR vendors. Uh, we've done work for uh, fusion vendors as well across a range of topics, including fuel development, uh, tritium handling, uh, safeguards. And it, it's a really great way for us at CNL to make our subject matter experts available to these okay. vendors as they're furthering their designs. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all working towards development and then deployment of these technologies. And anything that CNL can do to help with that, uh, we're interested in. Uh, and it also has the benefit of getting our scientists and engineers and technologists more involved with those designs and understanding the particularities of the specific okay. designs themselves, which is great for us to be able to support the industry as it emerges. And how about the Cedar Park? Yeah, so Cedar Park, this is a different uh, idea. Cedar stands for Clean Energy Demonstration Innovation and Research. It's another, another acronym. But the idea here is that in the future, uh, 2050 and beyond, you know, we think that nuclear is really, really important. You know, it's, a, it's an enabler that will be the backbone of the future energy uh, grid uh, in the country and around the world. 
but it's not alone. Nuclear is going to be there with renewables, certainly hydropower, wind, solar, other innovations that are to come, uh, and they all have to work together in tandem. So there's an idea out there, uh, there's lots of different terminology that's used, hybrid energy systems, integrated energy systems. Uh, this, is, this is basically coupling nuclear with renewables to have a flexible but efficient grid that can provide the electricity, the thermal power, uh, potentially the hydrogen that you need for a given location. And so the concept here of CEDAR is that at the Chalk River site, where we're already moving towards siting and SMR, uh, we could leverage that along with other clean energy generation and uh, use cases that would use that energy to show that integrated grid. Nuclear in general has a lot of hurdles in terms of regulations and regulatory, but also that social license. Where does advanced reactors fit on that spectrum? Yeah, so advanced reactors, it's a, it's a new technology, uh, no, no matter which one you pick, uh, and would be subject to all of the same rules as any contemporary reactor for regulation and for licensing. Um, you mentioned so social license, and I, I think you know, public acceptance is, is crucial. Uh, the hope here, and, and what I've seen in a lot of the discussions with uh, colleagues in Canada, in the utilities, and in the federal family, is that there's a real interest from the public in advanced reactors in some of these uh, concepts that I've talked about, about recycling of waste, about uh, more efficient reactors, the ability to use high temperatures to decarbonize in industrial processes. And so there, there's some compelling uses, there's compelling uh, sort of need here that we need this kind of clean energy. But of course, regulatory uh, aspects have to be solved, have to be done all uh, in advance of deploying these reactors. CNL is really well suited and well located to prove out these technologies and support the regulator. Um, Canada has a world-class regulator in the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, and CNL is perfectly well placed with our federal nuclear science and technology program to do underpinning research that can help inform the regulator and policymakers of the details of these different technologies. We're doing that now. Uh, we continue to work uh, as a very large portion of that federal nuclear science and technology program uh, to develop the techniques, the technology, the expertise to answer questions around advanced materials, around advanced nuclear fuels, the reactor safety of these different concepts, uh, and the underpinning models and techniques that are required to, uh, to do the experiments that will be necessary to validate the codes and models that are developed. So, so that's an exciting area, and, and we work closely uh, with the CNSC to solicit their input and feedback on that research. So what are the challenges for advanced reactors then? So we're pushing the boundaries of some material properties. Uh, we're looking at uh, high temperature operation for decades under uh, fairly harsh radiation environments. So we're really pushing into uh, specialty alloys, uh, understanding how those behave over a long period of time mm. with sometimes unique uh, coolant systems. So for example, molten salts under certain conditions can be very corrosive uh, with, with many different metals. So finding the right alloys, finding the right techniques to be able to test those alloys under prototypic conditions that can either directly uh, have irradiation effects or emulate those radiation, irradiation effects. You know, it's a challenging area of research, 
Uh, it requires modern tools. You know, advanced modeling and simulation can support that, and uh, so we have a, a group that works on that. We also have material scientists, uh, nuclear engineers. In fact, this whole area of, of research is growing very quickly. There are many different designs that are being considered in Canada today. Uh, and so as we are working on this, I foresee a need for more and more researchers in these areas. So what, what are we doing in terms of uh, building up capability on the laboratory scale? Are we new buildings, new techniques? Yeah, so, so at CNL, we're going through a huge recapitalization of the labs. Uh, we're tearing down old buildings and we're building up new facilities, new labs. Uh, and right now we are building some new test capabilities around some of these technologies that I've talked about. Okay. Specific test loops around high temperature gas reactors, specific test loops around molten salts. Uh, and all the while we're on the hunt for the best and brightest in the world. Okay. So we are hiring and I anticipate over the next uh, number of years we're going to grow substantially throughout the entire directorate and I'm sure all of S&T. Uh, Advanced modeling and simulation is a, a crucial area for us. Yeah. Material scientists, nuclear engineers, fuel scientists, yeah. and the list goes on. Any new big buildings going on or, or experimental capabilities too? The Government of Canada invested $1.2 billion nice. in recapitalizing the labs. What that means is we're tearing down old buildings and building up some new lab facilities. Okay. And the crown jewel of that new uh, investment in the site is the Advanced Nuclear Materials Research Center. So that new facility will house uh, flexible hot cells that will be able to handle irradiated materials, irradiated fuels, and has an entire suite of material characterization labs that will really enable us to continue doing what we have been doing for the last 70 plus years uh, and enabling science and technology for safe operation of nuclear in the country. So where does Canada fit in the global landscape of advanced reactors right now? Yeah, Canada sits uh, among very few other countries that we can call a tier one nuclear nation. So Canada has a domestic nuclear industry. We have uh, a capable lab. We have a, a internationally recognized regulator. Uh, we have a domestic uh, mining industry. We essentially have everything you need to have a nuclear industry here in Canada. There are only a handful of countries that can say the same. Uh, as far as advanced reactors goes, Canada is working very, very uh, hard to get SMRs off the ground. So Canada, right from the very top, has support for SMRs. Uh, in this year's federal budget, we saw SMRs appear for the first time in a, in a federal budget document. There's the SMR roadmap and action plan that has been convened by Natural Resources Canada and has support from over I think 500 different organizations nice. throughout Canada that have specific actions within that action plan. So we see that there's a lot of potential here. And I think the reason that Canada is at this kind of leadership position with advanced nuclear is because we have use cases here in Canada. We already have a pretty sizable nuclear industry. I mean, in Ontario, nuclear produces over 60% of our electricity today. We have nuclear also in, in New Brunswick. Uh, there are four provinces in Canada that signed a provincial memorandum of understanding to examine SMRs, and that was Ontario, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. Uh, they recently concluded that effort with a strategy document that was released. You know, they're all really serious about nuclear and serious about SMRs. So Ontario has already announced with 
Ontario Power Generation that they're going to be going forward to build a new uh, SMR at the Darlington site. Uh, Saskatchewan recently announced you know, their intent to follow what uh, OPG has established and build the same reactor in, uh, in the province of Saskatchewan in the early 2030s. New Brunswick's pursuing two really exciting advanced reactor concepts. So it's an exciting time here where you have the provinces really taking a leadership role, talking about the need for new nuclear and, and exploring these, uh, these new reactor types uh, to be able to demonstrate them, develop them, show that they can build these on time and on budget, and then roll them out more broadly. I think it's important to note too that they're, they're looking at these first projects not as, uh, as the end, right? They very much are at the beginning. So they're looking to build out those first plants yeah. and then scale up from there. So uh, thank you so much, Ali, for the, your time today, and I'm sure we're going to have you back. Do you have any concluding th thoughts on, you know, what's the world going to look like for nuclear in 2100? So in 2100, I, I see nuclear continuing to play a really critical role in uh, powering civilization. And I think that uh, advanced nuclear is going to become more and more important over the coming decades to meet our climate change objectives, to work in tandem with renewables. Uh, and it's an exciting area. So I, I guess I would say to anyone out there listening who is interested in a career that would be impactful to make the world a better place, support the development of, uh, of society and civilization in general. And we need power, we need it to be clean. And I think advanced nuclear is the way to go. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you very much. Thanks.